0: Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm your host Gary. And I'm Chris. And this is our first episode. It is. Attempt number two. <laughs> Attempt number two. We finally got it right. We're uh, not professional podcasters if you can't tell, but hopefully that'll uh, change soon. Add to a bit the of charm. I think add to the charm of it all. Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> so just to give a brief history of anyone who hasn't uh, followed us on social media yet um Horracle Trash River I created a few years ago um originally as just low-budget horror films uh, fan page show my appreciation of films that are so bad they're good and uh, over the years just shared horror news uh, clips and then recently uh, reviews from both myself and Chris and uh, yeah now we're just building onto it with this podcast
1: yeah, I sort of jumped to board recently. Uh, me and Gary have been in a relationship for two and a half years now, thereabouts, and uh, I, th- I think a big part of our relationship has been our love of horror, cult cool. films, trash.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, our relationship pretty much
1: started from that. It did. I mean, one of uh, one of the first messages on a well-known dating app. Um, I did. Uh, compliment your blu-ray collection i was sort of in the midst of uh building on mine and i was was quite impressed and sort of hit it off from there didn't we
0: yeah it was a week after i uh became famous in the local hmv for spending 250 pound on (laughs) arrow take from that what you will but uh i mean individually my history of um horror and court and trash cinema started when i was younger and my dad would have a dvd and vhs collection and i'd always be amazed by the uh, cover arts and whatnot and completely fascinated by it until i was uh, old enough to well i wasn't old enough but uh until i you know deemed it accessible for myself to uh, access some of these films and uh yeah from there onwards i just uh, gained a love for horror films and films that are just a little different to uh, what everyone else was watching, and, and then later on, my love for So Bad It's Good came from when a friend of mine showed me uh, Vampire Killer Barbies, which is an absolute cinematic masterpiece, if you haven't seen it. And then, uh, yeah, I studied film and TV in college, uh, where I, I analysed a few films for assignments and such, and it's just uh, my love for films growing from there onwards.
1: I think for myself, I sort of, my parents weren't really into horror films and i wasn't allowed to watch them when i was younger so uh, it used to be the old trips to virgin mega store showing my age there or, or hmv and i'd see these covers and the old vhs's and be fascinated but also uh, repulsed by some of them and you know i was dying to watch them and i was never allowed and then one one evening Nightmare on Elm Street was on TV and finally my mum allowed me to watch a horror film and I I fell in love and watched it over and over again. Still love it now, obviously. And uh, yeah, just sort of grew from there. And my mum realised that, you know, it wasn't going to make me into a serial killer. So she started buying me some of them on VHS and, and DVD and
0: it just grew and grew and i think basically what we're going to do with this podcast is we're combining um our love for genre films and each week we are going to discuss a uh, either a horror masterpiece a cult classic or a, a trash to piece so to say and we're just going to pick it apart and tell you what's to love about it what's not to love and hopefully also talk about some directors and franchises too And uh, this week, to start us off, we have uh, an absolute gem from 1980. What do we have, Chris? It's Alien 2. On Earth. (laughs)
1: The follow-up to Ridley Scott's classic 1979 sci-fi horror,
0: Alien. Yes, but... uh... Not quite at the same time. Not quite uh, James Cameron, no. No, this is uh part of the whole craze of Italian exploitation cinema where they would take something that blew up in America, uh a la Dawn of the Dead, also known as Zombie. They made Zombie Two, which was Zombie Flesh Eaters, had absolutely nothing to do with Dawn of the Dead, except that may have been an example, but these are two very different films. Zombie Flesh Eaters is one of my favourite zombie films. It's an absolute masterpiece. Alien Two on Earth, on the other hand, is uh bag of shit. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's something else. It's uh, we we've actually well, I've watched this twice within twenty four hours. Chris actually fell asleep on the first viewing, but uh, <laughs> understandably so. I I didn't think uh, I didn't think it was right to wake him up and put him through it. But then I thought to myself, stage. Hey, you know what? What better way to start this podcast than with. Uh, this, this, uh, this piece of work. So uh, just, just a little
1: introduction to the film. Uh, as Gary said, it was filmed in 19, well, released in 1980. It is a follow-up to Alien, at least that's how they advertised it. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. It's directed by Ciro Ippolito. Excuse my pronunciation Hey, don't you mean Sam Uh,
0: Cromwell?
1: (laughs) Ciro Ippolito. And uh, he made no other films of note. No, not to say that this film is really of note. Um, But he... Sort of a one-hit wonder in terms of trash to pieces. Oh, this is a
0: hit. This is an absolute hit. And he also (laughs) didn't want anyone to know his name at the time. Disguised himself as a Sam Cromwell... Fun fact about this film. It is loved by Eli Roth. It certainly is. Eli Um, Roth thinks this is a masterpiece. He also liked Mother's Day, though, to be fair. Yeah. (laughs) Which I hate. I I I think we're in the uh, minority. I didn't really see much to Mother's Day, but a lot of people love it. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, I think Eli Roth is one of those, like, Quentin Tarantino where every single film is his favourite film of all time. This included. um, I mean... To give you a bit of uh, history of the uh, controversy surrounding it, uh, 20th Century Fox, of course, tried to sue, uh, maybe successfully. Uh, did you uh, pick that up? It wasn't successful. No. Which is, which is, oh, no, I do remember now. There is a novel uh, by the name of Alien, and uh, these clever, clever filmmakers behind this masterpiece, they uh, <laughs> claimed it was based off the novel, rather than uh, a sequel to Alien, even though that's what they were marketing it as. <laughs> and they got away with it. And then they had the cheek to try and sue Neil Marshall all these years later for making The Descent, claiming it was a rip-off of their, uh, of their film. Oh my God. This film is set in a cave. That is it. It has female characters. That's the only connection to The Descent. This is nothing like it. But uh, it is hilarious that they even... of trying to sue neil marshall
1: what i don't get is the the assumption that neil marshall would have watched this film (laughs) um by all accounts you know it's been difficult to get hold of we watched the um 88 films release on blu-ray um but my assumption is up until that point you know it wasn't in wide circulation um it you know I don't think there was a DVD release or, or if there was, it was, it wasn't, I'd never heard of it before this release. Um, and I'm really, really would be shocked if Neil Marshall had actually heard of this film before this release. So it's a little cheeky for, uh,
0: the director to have sued him after the Descent. I mean, I hope, I hope Neil Marshall watched it after the uh, whole insta was like, oh shit! Do you know what I went wrong? I should have uh, should have based my film off this uh, <laughs> in- incredible sci-fi action adventure film. Um, but uh, speaking of eighty-eight films, they have some interesting collections, and this is obviously part of the Italian collection. I mean, you with the slasher classics collection. It's easy uh, to say, oh wait, that isn't a slasher film. Like yesterday, we watched a romantic drama by the name of Prozzi, uh, one of its many names, part of the slasher classics, which was, of course, terrible. Um, I mean, you can't say these films aren't Italian, but you can say they're, uh, they're not proper films, some of them. I mean, this is, I don't even know what to call this. I mean, it's just a lot of uh, tracking shots and people walking around staring at things. And... It's,
1: what well, I divide shit films into two categories i don't know about yourself it's the boring shit films like squirm I, I thought squirm was extremely boring and then it's the shit films where i'm thoroughly entertained like the room and troll 2 you know you, you can't sit there and say i wasn't ent- it's it's a big bag of shite but i'm entertained this, for me, falls somewhere in the middle. You know, there are boring parts. Um, there are so bad, it's funny parts. So I did fall asleep, admittedly, because it, it's a slow start. Um,
0: but I but bet you're so some, glad you stayed awake today. There are
1: some standout bad
0: moments. So uh, will, I think we're going to go through the film. Yes, before we do, I just want to uh, say this film was made for a budget of $500. If you watch this film, let us know if you think it even came close to that much money to make this. (laughs) So the premise is, a spaceship lands back on Earth after a failed mission, but the astronauts have been replaced by hideous creatures that can penetrate people and make them explode it's not quite as dirty as it sounds but uh it is something so uh how does the film start chris so
1: we start with some very prolonged stock footage of astronauts very grainy um I'm not sure what they're doing to be perfectly honest i think one of them's throwing a plate up into the air and uh one of them's sort of parachuting down to earth but it, it goes on for a while um it's very clearly very old stock footage um and when that's over uh we get
0: more drawn out shots of driving driving with our lead character falma and she is on the way to a talk show with her husband roy who is essentially a budget kurt russell from the thing i was thinking more barry gear with the bgs to be fair i can see that is <laughs> uh, if the two of them had a uh, little it would definitely be roy yes and uh Falmer, of course has psychic abilities which is something that this film definitely needed it needed that uh that tie-in with x-men because so uh Falmer is essentially budget jean gray she uh she has a lot of uh, psychic attack moments in this film. Amongst uh, amongst everything else that's going on. But her purpose of going on this TV show is as a tie-in with this grainy NASA footage. She's on there to talk about her obsession with caves. She is a cave expert. That sounds so fucking boring. I, if anybody's listening to this and they're a cave expert, I apologise. But... This woman, she is obsessed with caves and she is going on the news to tell the whole world about it on this, uh, well, not the news. I mean, it's presented as a news show, but it's actually a talk show, including some of the most uncomfortable looking chairs I have ever seen in my life. I think I think what, what comes up,
1: and it's quite a funny moment, is when the talk show host... Starts the interview with uh, why is an attractive girl like you I have that on my notes as caves. well. He has
0: no idea why Farmer, who is so attractive, um, is running around caves. Uh, and then she is attractive. I I will I will give credit to.
1: You. I think she looks like a young Helen Mirren. To be fair, and as these podca- podcasts go on, you'll probably realize that I, I tend to reference people <laughs> in how they look. Um, has the acting skills of Helen Mirren? Ash? No, no, not not quite the acting skills of Helen Mirren.
0: Oh, yeah. Um. So, young Helen Mirren, um, cave expert, has a psychic attack on live TV. It's a shame for her. And, you know, it uh, sets the tone for the rest of the film. She has this dramatic psychic attack. Well, she should just...
1: It looks like a, a headache. And <laughs> she's sort of taken off the screen. And her husband explains that she's telepathic to the... Uh, um interviewer and the interviewer sort of it was like oh okay
0: you haven't seen that um new drunk taylor swift meme yet have you i haven't she know. looks yeah. a lot like that Does she's she? uh, singing <laughs> you need to calm down she pulls her head down and she is serving alien too she is trying her best
1: it's it's for me it's how the interviewer just was like yeah okay oh okay. yeah it moves on cool. we'll we'll just we'll just carry on with the show then you go you go sort yourself out
0: love it's fine but then Jean Grey, uh, Jean Grey Helen Mirren, decides uh, she needs to go and pay a visit to a beach to meet her friend. I didn't catch this guy's name. She didn't really say his name no, until wasn't. So, later in the film. No, 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 she
1: is, because she, she's at the beach. So they take another really long drive to the beach, and she's calling over to this boat, uh, and she is saying his name, I can't remember his name, and he... We get a really long shot of him rowing over One to of many. her, and uh, he sort of gets out. And what I I believe that he's her therapist, um, and he's sort of says to her, essentially, you need to shut up. <laughs> you know, uh, she's got these monsters, and these monsters are, are referenced a lot in the film. Her to do with her telepathy. And essentially he sort of tells her, you know, keep those monsters to yourself and I haven't got time for this.
0: And he just sort of goes. But let's face it, that is not the most important part of this scene. This scene is home to the best moment in this entire film. It's up there in the gallery of some of the best moments of Trash the piece Cinema. There is a kid. That has little to no involvement with this film whatsoever, and he's taking a walk back on the beach. I think there's a dog there. He's uh, trying to interact with, and all of a sudden he falls over this milk bottle, and it is fucking hilarious. It is one of my favorite scenes in the whole film.
1: It just sort of comes out. I know you know this kid's playing with this dog. He's got this stick, and he's walking backwards. And we get the impression that something's happening at the beach, you know, with the music and everything and her, her sort of telepathic headache or, or whatever she got. and uh, all these things fall into earth. And this kid fall, falls flat on his ass, and that's
0: it. And end of that. Honestly, I hope that scene actually wasn't meant to be in the film. I hope they accidentally left it in, because the editing isn't great in this film. If they mistakenly left this in, I would not be surprised. I think
1: what they did was probably they wanted to to, to film the scene of some kid playing with a dog, um, you know. And he fell flat on his ass, and they were like, do you know what, we'll just keep that in.
0: Do you mean this actor keeps this on his CV? I don't think... I don't think it was... Do you think all these years later he looks back fondly on this and thinks, you know what? I could have done that better.
1: He's probably never watched the fucking film, to be fair, so he probably doesn't even know he's in He that. probably doesn't even, he in doesn't even know he's in the film. He probably doesn't even know he's in the film. Um, Sam Cromwell. I mean, there's the potential that he was just filming the kid. Um, <laughs> because the, uh, the kid... Briefly pops up later, he's discovered some sort of stone. Oh,
0: he sets the whole
1: plot off! He, well, he does... He he finds the st- a, a stone, um, and his mum's very impressed. But this this particular scene where he does fall over a milk bowl has absolutely nothing to do with that. It's, uh... It's, yeah.
0: And if uh, Sam Cromwell, or uh, Ciro Eppolito, as is also known, was... Uh, Randomly filming kids on a beach, that's quite concerning. <laughs> but um after I mean that that one scene alone set the bar for the rest of the film, but we then get the most racist overdub you'll ever hear in your entire life. We are we go to a bowling alley, and I have in my notes why does this bowling alley scene exist? I still have no idea. It's is just I mean, it introduces you to some characters, but it is so pointless. As the characters walk in, Falmer and Roy, uh, they come across the guy at the main desk of the bowling alley, who is clearly an Italian guy. Um, Italian uh, gentleman who has headphones on, and, oh my God, he is playing his music so loud, which leads to the person overdubbing this guy, giving the most over-the-top... ...racial stereotype voice I have ever heard. It is horrendous. Do you have anything to say about this? I I uh...
1: just... uh, For me, it's just terrible customer service. You know, he's got his headphones (laughs) on, blazing, really loud. You know, he's clearly meant to be working. No one... He can't hear what anybody's saying. And, in fact, the dub is, you know, pretty stereotypical, um, you know...
0: This this is not uh, this is not a blackmail.
1: I yeah, I think I think that happened a lot in these sort of films though where um that that sort of uh black exploitation style of talk that they you know given given as a dub.
0: Yeah, this is what that guy thinks this guy should have spoke like and I'm pretty sure if we had watched it with subtitles, he would have sounded fuck all like that. He probably would have sounded Italian. To be fair, and uh, that's a good point. And that,
1: that's the thing. You know, that's the thing with a lot of these Italian films, and it's probably why, also why he gave himself an American sounding name. The director is that, they they, tried so they were Italian productions, obviously, but tried so hard to look like American productions because that would make them,
0: more, um, profitable. You know. Yeah, and then after we move on from the terrible customer services, we get to a uh, scene of someone do some pretty terrible bowling. I I don't know if you noticed that they they're all going crazy like he had uh, got a strike, but he actually knocked down about three pins. It was pretty poor.
1: Yeah, it's um another pointless scene uh, of bowling. Uh, all the the team are there. The the uh, cave. Um, what do you call people that? Go into caves. There's a there's a term for cave it. Cave explorers. Cave explorers. We'll, we'll refer to them as just, cave explorers. Yeah, in this okay. Film. If we are so wrong, all, all the, let us know. Yeah, all the cave explorers are there, uh, sort of watching him, play, uh, play bowling, watching him bowl, um, but not really getting involved themselves. And yeah, it's I, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> Why that was a... I know this, this will be a, um, you know, a reoccurring theme throughout this podcast. Is I don't understand why this was in the film.
0: And then we get a bit of plot as we're introduced to another beach scene. Yeah, we're back to the beach. Back to the beach again. Back to the beach. And this time there is... Uh, of course, Falmer has another uh, psychic attack and... Uh, she has the feeling something bad's going to happen. So she goes and stands rudely over this woman. And uh, in some of my favourite dubbing of the film, this one's like, what? What do you want? What? It's so over the top and ridiculous. And uh, so Falma just wanders off. She doesn't explain to her that this woman's daughter is actually in danger. Um, she just wanders off, um, screams no a couple of times. And then we're introduced to Lucy, another child that's in this film for about two minutes. But she has a little more character development than uh, the milk bottle kid. Am I right? Well, Lucy
1: finds the, the rock and, you know, there's this great
0: cutaway to her mom. Well, we get to see seaweed breathing
1: yeah it's whatever the rock's doing or the seaweed and it cuts to her mum oh Lucy Lucy where are you and um she finds Lucy whimpering doesn't she <laughs> back to yeah. the camera
0: Lucy's crying this is important to remember
1: crying and sort of whimpering and she goes closer and closer and, and then we get the reveal of uh how did
0: you describe it? It looks like a pizza with no cheese, but a pizza that's been dropped on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they just put tomato puree over this kid's face. It
1: looks like there's just been a bit of uh, meat slapped on her face. But what the fuck is she crying from? It is she's she's got a fucked up face, and she hasn't got she's got no nose, she's got no mouth, she's got no eyes, but she's still managing to whimper and cry. That's, I didn't understand that
0: part. And although she had more character development than the milk bottle kid, uh, that's it. <laughs> we never hear another thing from Lucy so, or her mum ever again.
1: I don't know. I mean, would you count that as
0: the first kill of the film? I mean, if she's surviving, she's going to have a pretty miserable life with a face like that.
1: Well, she is, but then she's still capable of making noises. That's what I didn't understand. I mean, if she's going to be, if she's going to be dead... You know, why, how is she making these, these noises?
0: I personally hope there's going to be another sequel and it's going to be all these years later on, a documentary about a plastic surgeon dealing with Lucy's face. Okay. I would rather watch that than the rest of this film. Oh, uh, well, well, that would be know, incredible. There's still more to go. Again, um, do you think Lucy looks back on this now and thinks that time I had pizza slats on my face? what a great decision for my career yeah probably yeah but that's all <laughs> it may disappoint you but that's the last we'll see of the beach
1: yes yes so we get more prolonged driving scenes and um some country music and we get a li- we do get some country music actually yeah we do get some country music about johnny and solving problems by the sea Um, It sounds, I thought it sounded a little like uh, Leonard Cohen. It it did. And, uh, you know,
0: it is appropriate to this film because let's face it, Lucy's mum is going to have to solve some problems by the sea. (laughs) Whoever left the milk bottle there created a problem. So good choice of soundtrack. I mean, you could really see the lyrics come to life on screen. But as Chris said, we have more driving because one thing this film wants you to know is things happen. There's no such thing as jump cuts in this film. Things happen in real time. It's a recurring theme in in shit films, though. To be fair.
1: Go oh yeah, we I mean, look at
0: Tommy Wiseau. He is the yeah, master so of that uh, not, not cutting away. That whole know. tape recorder scene, like you get to see how to set a tape recorder up in the room. That's not the only reason to watch that film, but um, yeah, if you ever need to know how to set a tape recorder up on a phone, Tommy Wiseau's your guy. <laughs> But it's not tape recorders in this film. It's driving and walking and staring. That is something that uh, the director is a big fan of. So they go to... uh, Obviously, we've got all the team together now. Again, a lot of them... I didn't catch the names. Uh, I do know we have Bert and Maureen, though. My favourite characters of the film. What did you think to uh, all Bert and Maureen? Bert was the uh, guy with the blue jacket on. The guy you...
1: Oh, but it was the... The people Bert that get licked to death. Spoiler
0: alert, they get licked to death.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, and I think a big thing about the, this film is that um, there, there is no character developed, essentially. <laughs> absolutely none. For, for a film that begins so slowly, you, you know, there's all this build-up before they go into the cave, which the cave is the big point of the film. And you've got a group of people and I, I can't rem- remember their names. When I watch films, I, I barely remember names anyway. And hence why you've referred to them as their celebrity lookalikes or some defining character uh, traits. And, um, this film has no character development whatsoever. Even, even your main girl, Helen Mirren, telekinetic Helen Mirren, she, her only character trait is... She's telekinetic. Um, a telepathic. or Whatever the fuck it is. Whichever one it is that she is. um, That's her only character trait. And then you get Bert, who is the only other person who has a character trait, and he's a writer. That's, that's Sorry, you don't know what he writes. You know, he writes novels, I, mean, I assume. But he's a writer. And everyone <laughs> else gets... Nothing. You don't know who they are. They're not even, like, stereotypes. You know, in a good slasher film, you know, you get your stereotypes. There's not even not even a slutty one. The only one that's really that slutty that we know has any sort of sex is your final girl, is, you know, Helen Mirren.
0: Yeah, and the, re- the way we find out that, about Bert and his writing um, is from a scene in a shop we don't need to see in the shop, but it's there, and uh, the shopkeeper knows Bert really well. And uh, asked him how he's getting on with his book, to which he replies, he has two thousand pages left. This does lead to something. It leads to some uh, <laughs> quality time writing in a. Well, that's later on. Yeah, we'll that's we'll, we'll get on. to that in a bit. So but, that's,
1: uh, so so we have, this Leonard Cohen country music. Driving scene. Bert goes to pick up whatever. Or what Does he pick up?
0: I don't even know what he picks, I I what he picks up. I think he's just there so we so find shop. out. It's a skate shop. So I, mean, I think he just goes in there so we can find out he's an author. And fun
1: little fact, Bert is played by uh, Michel Suave. If I'm pronouncing again, excuse my pronunciation. The director of Stage Fright. One of our faves. Uh, Cemetery Man. And he also directed The Church. So, you know, quite a, a well-received director. Three after films. After this film. After yeah. this After this. so.
0: Ah, Fra- oh, this makes sense. Maybe he, he starred in this. He watched it back and was like, do you know what? I know how to make good films. Yeah. I'm going to make the exact opposite of this. Yeah. Um, Three very I, different films. I think so. he started
1: off as kind of a, a, a actor and then went on to, to uh, directing... Uh, much better director than he is an actor.
0: So Bert also discovers the blue stone from the beach. The the blue stone responsible for Lucy. The way he discovers this, is uh, by taking a piss at the side of a petrol station. Whilst we get some mandatory Italian exploitation boobs, some of the it, first in the film. Well, it's a bit. Uh, so they go to this bar. Was it a and bar? I've it was a petrol bar. It was, No,
1: it was a bar with the old lady behind. Behind uh, the bar. It was a bar. Yeah, very Italian-looking old lady, and um, so the the guys talking. He doesn't order a drink. None of them order a drink, but they use <laughs> the facilities. Um, and the girls are getting changed. Bit of a obligatory side boob to start us off from from the final girl. Um, spoiler alert! Final girl, um, and. But is wanting to use the WC and they're taking their time like ladies do. And uh, so he has to have a pee around the corner and he discovers the stone there.
0: My favourite part of this is uh, his response to uh, where he found it. He gets asked, where did you find this uh, mysterious blue rock? And his exact response was, I found it where people find things really but so people find things whilst they're having a piss outside of a bar it's is that where people find things i mean it probably is but not those sort of things not alien rocks so uh yeah and then we get to see their uh, cave exploring suits which to me looked a lot like the suits from holes the shia labeouf film that's all I could think of when I was watching. What did you take away from their stylish suits?
1: Bright orange and bright yellow, weren't they? Yeah. Um, it, they, did, they did look like
0: prison boiler suits. And then they put those suits to use as they take a stylish journey down into the cave. And what I love so much about this film is the intention is there for this to be stylish, but that's what makes it so fucking bad. They try to do this stylish journey down into this cave with the most over-the-top soundtrack and they do this with this 500 dollar budget that is just it's not enough to cover what he's trying to go for you can see what he's trying to go for but it's not enough to cover this and instead it's just a bunch of lights for five minutes and then a couple of shots of them going down to this cave Whilst this big guitar solo song is playing over the top, it's it's ridiculous and it goes it's, on far too long. How did I describe it? A shit prog rock music video. It was yeah. No, that's a very good description. It
1: was so long, so long, and it, it felt so long. And it, you know, this isn't this isn't a, a lengthy film. You know, it's hour and th- hour and twenty minutes. Hour and twenty minutes. You know, that's, that's a bit shorter than the average film. And there's so many of these scenes that are so much longer than necessary. And I, I know they're trying to make it into a feature-length film on a small budget, but fucking hell, some of them were just ridiculous. This, you, you can't see anything. There's these sort of bright lights twinkling, which you assume is them descending into the cave. This shit fucking power ballad or whatever the hell's going on as they're going down. And it just feels so long, so long.
0: And it's 27 minutes into the film. It is. They, they don't start going down into the cave, which is the plot of the film. They don't start going down there until 27 minutes. And once the stylish sequence is over, it, it just abruptly ends. Like with many sequences in this film, the soundtrack doesn't fade out or anything. It just stops. And then we get the scene I mentioned earlier of Bert getting his portable typewriter out in the cave. But
1: it's not portable. It's fucking huge. and It really (laughs) pissed me
0: off. Well, portable for the 80s. Well,
1: why would you take a fucking typewriter down
0: into a cave?
1: Like, (laughs) like, again, again, this... This is probably his last bit of character development and probably the last bit of character development in the film is him sat there in this cave, candle, either side of him, typing on a typewriter. Why
0: it's the first f- thing he does when he well, gets down do there. How like,
1: would you take a typewriter, a big, heavy typewriter, down into a cave? And it's not even... I'm not even sure if it's played for
0: comedic effect. I don't know. It, it, Bert explains why it happens. Um, it's his girlfriend Maureen. She, uh, Curly she yeah, she yeah. wants to know why are you, uh, why are you writing down here, and why do you write by candlelight all the time? Because he has candles in, of course. And uh, Bert replies, "It's sweet and romantic." To which she replies, Ugh! "Oh,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that is the exact noise she makes. Am I right?" It, w- <laughs> it sounds it like works. our neighbours yeah. to try uh, to also recreate that noise. Um, anyway, but yeah, she, she makes an orgasm noise because it's so uh, sweet and romantic. I mean, Bert is obviously uh, a very... Uh, how can we put it? Bert is uh, irresistible, clearly. Just saying sweet and romantic gets the girls going. Uh-huh. But what else gets these characters going is the look of this cave that I swear is fake. If it's not fake, then... I held my hands up, I'm wrong, but this, is, this looks so fake. But we get a shot of all the characters standing around, and they say it is beautiful, fabulous, and far out. Like they've never seen a cave before. These professional cave explorers. But yeah, they, they think it's amazing. Um, to me, it looked like a pretty standard cave. Um, someone else notices some rocks that they think looks like a camel, which gets the exact line of dialogue. Hey, guys, that looks like a camel. No. No, it doesn't. It looks like a bunch of rocks. Seriously. And we get to uh, know Veronica Cartwright a little better. Again, not got a name, but she is honestly... She's
1: serving Veronica Cartwright. and From Alien.
0: From Alien. The so only connection she, she, between she the looks,
1: two. She, she does look like Veronica Cartwright in Alien. So I, I'm expecting
0: a, a big old wimp, you, you know. Which isn't to say we don't like Alien. Alien is a masterpiece. I, know, I, but, uh, I, I love Alien, but... If you look you, at Veronica, Veronica Cartwright... It's fucking
1: annoying in that film. Compared
0: to uh, Sigourney compared Weaver. Compared
1: Sigourney. You know, and obviously this is a, a massive rip-off of Alien. So I'm expecting this girl to be the wimpy one, the annoying one, because, you know, sorry, you know, if you're a huge... What, what was uh, Veronica Cartwright's character in Alien? Forgive me. Was Veronica Cartwright's character? I don't know. Veronica Cartwright, she was a big wimping alien, and I'm expecting similar from this character.
0: But you don't get that, because immediately... Because that, would be,
1: that would actually be character development.
0: <laughs> and immediately she notices the blue stone in Bert's bag moving. So she does the sensible thing and takes a closer look. Well, it's Thelma's bag. Was it Felma's bag? Yeah, it was Thelma's bag, because Bert had given
1: it to Thelma. And she tried stuffing it in a bag and it wasn't really happening. So it was just poking out the whole time. So this uh, Veronica Cartwright, I can't, what is her name? I can't remember her name. I it's
0: don't know right. if her name was even said once.
1: I probably wasn't, to be fair. But this Veronica Cartwright, she notices this stone. And this stone magically uh, turns into a tongue it looked like a tongue
0: it turns into a face hugger basically yeah.
1: <laughs> but she, it was like a lick yeah and I mean, it, it was like she got licked in the face yeah this, you know um tongue yeah it did it generally it looked like a tongue uh, i'm not sure what it was meant to be a, a tentacle or something but she gets licked in the face and she falls down uh
0: the cave and it's at this point where i, I thought to myself if Thelma knew what... Because, I mean, there's plenty of moments before they went in where she's like, I've got a bad feeling, blah, blah, whatever. Why the fuck did she let them go down there? And, you know, she obviously knew this was going to happen to Veronica Cartwright, but this, all this shit still happened. She didn't really do anything to prevent it. I mean, she said she had a bad feeling and no one didn't even it, but still, she didn't really put much effort in stopping these people going down there. No, but well, she went down herself, you know. I
1: mean, yeah. She, she, it's... It's what I don't get about this film, and it does come up later. Is this whole telepathy thing doesn't bring anything to the story? Yeah, at they could all. have left it out, and it wouldn't have made. It that. could have been it left out. It, it it just brings nothing to the story, um, so it makes you, you. know, this is your main main girl. This is your uh, your, your final girl. It makes her kind of annoying because she has these moments and it doesn't, she's not using it to help anyone, you you know, um,
0: yeah. But speaking of helping, Veronica falls down this hole and then we get the longest sequence of people descending into a hole you will ever see in your entire life. It's it's another completely pointlessly long, prolonged scene. You see every second of each of the characters going down to Veronica, seeing if she's all right, realising she's not, and then we get to see them go all the way back up as well. No jump cuts whatsoever.
1: But also no tension. No tension I mean, at no, all. The, 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 it isn't the soundtrack. Isn't building. It, it. You don't feel like there's something gonna jump out at any second. You. You know. It is literally just them picking her up. Yeah. And pulling her all the way up to the top of the cave.
0: And obviously, because everybody is watching this, loves these prolonged sequences of nothing. You, if you do, you're in for a treat because you're about to get. A three-minute-long tracking shot of fucking nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. You see a foot, then you see a blank screen for about two minutes, then you get to see Veronica's body, and after three minutes, it finally gets to her face, and then we get a chest burster coming out of her face. And then... <laughs> It doesn't just stay there. It doesn't just burst out and then hang around. It goes on to another character again. There wasn't even anything interesting about this other character. No, at all. that that is one I don't I don't. I, really I forgot he was the in the film, uh, but anyway, he gets uh, decapitated essentially.
1: Well, it it sort of bites his neck, and it looks like the actor's just holding a bit of meat to his face and, and wobbling it about, and. Um, Then, I don't know, because it's just one bite, isn't it? Yeah. So he must, like, let go of it or or whatever. And it ends up with his head falling off
0: all the way down to the cave below. And then the characters see it and they're like, ah, anyway, what should we do? (laughs) Yeah. They couldn't care less. It takes, it doesn't
1: take them very long to get over it all. Considering they were so, um, you know, heartbroken over Veronica falling down the cliff to see the dude's head fall right in front of them. They didn't really react the same.
0: Maybe they didn't like him.
1: Maybe. Maybe they forgot he was in the film. Um, Yeah, maybe. They were like, who the fuck's this? Because I was like that.
0: (laughs) And then they split up because that's the most logical solution. And uh, Thelma, our lead girl that we have to have so much faith in, asks this dumb question uh, where she wants to know how can those astronauts disappear exact words the astronauts are on the start of the film which was it even mentioned before this point that they disappeared i
1: didn't remember anyone mentioning that the it may have been during that stock footage sequence or, or whatever no no it can't have been because the interviewer was talking about um them landing Like, before we start talking about the landing that's about to happen, we're going to talk about caves.
0: But they disappeared, apparently. And uh, Roy Mm, wants to know if it's anything to do with the stones. Wow, Roy. What do you think? (laughs) This... God, the dialogue in this film is atrocious. But not as atrocious as the next scene. I hope you're not getting attached by Maureen, because she gets it rough. She gets it really rough. First of all, she gets a flying rat to the crotch. She does. This rat has nothing. There's no other rats in this film. <laughs> but this rat is thrown at her. It's straight at her vagina. It really is. She pulls it off. She doesn't really care. Um, she, all she wants to know is if the antenna on her radio is okay. She is like, oh, shit, is my antenna okay on my radio? Hang on. Are you not bothered by the fact you just had a rat thrown at you by something? And then, as if that wasn't bad enough... I mean, I don't know about the status of her antenna. I think it was okay. I think it wasn't broken. Um, Her and Bert get licked to death and she gets her eye pulled out. The cave just comes to life and uh, starts licking her.
1: I, I think we meant to... I mean, she goes to investigate a strange noise. And, uh... But... Sort of follows her, she, she screams, and Bert follows her, and um, they both get attacked by what to me look like sock puppets covered in Oh, they're tomato, absolutely ketchup. sock puppets. Yeah, they look like sock and it, it's you know, they just come flying at the screen, and that's them gone Bert and curly head woman, and what was her name? Maureen. Maureen, you know, and, and so. But died, one of two characters to have any development, so... you will never
0: finish that novel.
1: He'll never finish no, he won't finish that novel.
0: My next note says, wait, there's a character called Cliff. Cliff is the old, the older guy. That's the beach guy, so that was the first time she said his name. It must have been, because I didn't even notice his name was Cliff.
1: No, no, beach guy had a beard. Did he? Cliff didn't have a beard.
0: A lot of people look very similar in this film, there's a lot of... Uh... 70s, 80s beards going on. Um, but Cliff didn't have a beard? I swear Cliff had a beard. No. I well, either way, this. you don't get to know Cliff for long because he has a psychic conversation with Falmer um, in which she uh, just calls his name a bunch of times and uh, and then they meet up and Cliff's not Cliff anymore. And uh, Falmer starts having a freak out at him, screaming in his face. It's rather unpleasant. I mean, Cliff's... Oh, no, he doesn't have a beard. Because he's just standing there staring at her like he's possessed by something. Uh, She tries to use her
1: telepathy. And this is... This is the... The point I was making earlier about the telepathy being completely pointless. Is that she uses her telepathy to warn Cliff. Um, She's struggling to get through to him. You know, it's... It's a very intense scene as far as this movie goes. And she basically said, oh, it's above you, Cliff. She finally gets through. It's above you. He looks up and that's, that's, you know. Cliff isn't Cliff anymore. Cliff, these weird sort of cow udders from the ceiling get him. And Cliff isn't Cliff anymore. So what was the, why, why, why have her telepathy as a plot point when it serves no purpose within the plot. I think she made his head explode. No, no, that was the alien. Well,
0: he, she's sta- taken she gives him over a death by stare. the alien.
1: Yeah, they have a stare off. A little staring contest. Like, she
0: is freaking out and then all of a sudden she just stops and just stares at him. The next minute his fucking head explodes and the alien comes out. I want to think that that was the alien making its way out through her controlling it. It's probably not. They probably didn't put that much thought into it, but... Uh, oh, it's Some scanners moment. It, yeah, that was completely scanners. But Cliff's gone. Um, and now it's just uh, Roy and Farmer, and we get a slow-mo no, run no, out Roy, of the cave. Roy and
1: Thelma and a, a, another dude. Well, what happens to him? Well, he just randomly gets attacked as they're going. I didn't even know that guy existed. He gets... No, no, no. Jesus, no. This he, So the alien that comes out of Cliff's head attacks this other dude who, again, his name I can't remember, and that gets rid of him, so then it's just Thelma and... Um, I'm dying to say Louise. Uh, <laughs> Thelma and her husband or whatever, just them. And what do they do? Your favourite part of any film? I fucking hate slow-mo, and they have a nice little slow-mo cave run. Um effortlessly get out of the cave Eff- it's and, and this okay this is this is annoying as well is they just happen they were they were searching for a long time to find an exit to this cave potentially it was going to be miles and miles of them having to to you know walk in, under the the earth and they have a slow-mo run and
0: they happen to find the exit <laughs> and then they uh take a walk up to their car and they act like they're scared of the car for some reason. Okay, this is this is something else that doesn't go anywhere. And this film is
1: full of shite that doesn't go anywhere or doesn't serve a purpose. And so they come up to their the car and old Velma, she has one of her little telepathic attacks and you assume that there's an alien in the car. You know, you're like, okay, there's an alien in the car. A Orisbon creeps up, opens the door, like, taps them in like he's knocking a fly or, or, like, some sort of
0: insect off the door, and then they get in. And we then realise that this is actually either a crossover with 28 Days Later or it's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Thanos has snapped his fingers because there's no one about. There is no one in... Uh, Where are they? What's the location? Oh, uh, I
1: think it was meant to be somewhere in California or Colorado or Utah.
0: Yeah, there's... Oh, uh, was it Utah? I think it was Utah, and and there was was absolutely nobody about anywhere. So, uh, obviously, they're very confused about this, and they thought the best place to go was, of course, the bowling alley. And the bowling alley is now possessed by this alien. If things are working by the south, people are playing games in there, but there's no one about. Um, and then Roy disappears, presumably killed, and we get to see Farmer through the mouth of this alien taking over the Bolo alley. This is one of the 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 famous scenes of the if there are any
1: fucking famous scenes of this film. But this is one of the 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 shots, and I I believe they probably used it in a lot of the promotional material for this film is the camera being inside the alien you know you get a point of view shot um of Velma. um she's she's in a she's on the actual bowling alley isn't she yeah she's slipped and fallen the alien somehow doesn't slip on the bowling alley uh but Velma does and that's the famous shot and it, it's I think it was... If I remember correctly, they just stuck some meat to the camera.
0: That would not surprise um, me. In the slayers.
1: Yeah, and an actual meat. Yeah, actual meat to the camera. And I don't know. it It's... I think in any other film, it may have actually been quite an effective shot. I mean, it's a, a low-budget film, you know. They probably couldn't create a giant alien. So this is the only way of them to do this, you know, and it's the old slasher film trope of, uh, the point of view of the killer. I don't, I don't know if, if, if I'm going to give, I this think film, you're giving it too much credit. If I'm going to give this film any credit for anything that it does, that one shot is slightly effective. Sorry. I said it that, I, I I kinda liked it. I Were you scared? Liked that. I wasn't of course I wasn't scared. Um, <laughs> but it was quite effective. Yeah. There I said it. Fuck you.
0: <laughs> so, to conclude Chris's favourite film of all time, um, <laughs> Falma runs out of the bowling alley, she survives it, um, no matter how effective it was, and she screams, Somebody answer me She there's no question to answer Falma and you know everybody's disappeared. Like Seriously, what the fuck are you doing? Um. So she uh, gets on the floor. Uh, looks like she takes a nap. And we zoom out to a title card saying, You could be next. And that is Alien 2.
1: Yeah, and that, that last part. And, and again, I don't like to, to hate on films that are low budget. I mean, this film didn't do what it could have done with a low budget. Um, but she's, the idea is that everyone's gone. She's the last person, at at least in that city or potentially in, you know, the United States or, or whatever. But if these aliens have come to Earth and they're eating people, why are there no aliens around? Why is it completely deserted? Surely, if we were going the, you know, apocalyptic ending, there should be people dead on the streets. Rather than... If these aliens are going around and they're eating people, decapitating people, licking them to death, whatever, then surely people would be dead in the roads, in... the but there would have been dead people in the bowling alley. There was nothing to say that these, you know, aliens were eating these people or getting rid of the bodies in some way. So I, I, I think what it tried to be an effective ending of her being completely alone didn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, I really don't think the uh the filmmakers thought it out that much. No. I think they probably had a little bit of film left night. Like, oh, thought this be cool. This this uh, place is pretty empty. Let's uh make use of it. Let's make use of this uh location. Uh but yeah, solid ten out of ten, right? Um no. <laughs> no, probably
1: not. Um it, it it's like I said earlier, it's somewhere between boring and so bad it's good. And, and I know that's such a cliche to say so bad it's good.
0: You'll hear it a lot on this podcast. Yeah,
1: yeah. There are a lot of films that are so bad they're good and you, you can talk a lot about it. And I, I, I think we've talked a lot about this, this film, um, but a lot of what we've talked about is
0: prolonged unnecessary scenes. And shots. And that's what we love. We need recommendations and more films like this. No. no. <laughs> we do. No. I we wouldn't. have some absolute gems in our collection that we are going to work our way through. Have you decided what you want to do next week yet? I haven't. No. No. That one, I will give that a good We will thing. make an announcement soon as uh, so what we'll be covering next week. But after next week's podcast, we will be opening up to you guys. So... If you can send your recommendations of anything that's terrible, or even if it's good, you know, anything you want us to talk about, let us know, well, and we will... Is horror caught trash over?
1: I mean, you know, that covers a lot of
0: of genres, doesn't it? Yeah. But obviously we want you to find the trashiest shit you can <laughs> find. And make us watch it, and make us talk about it. Chris will love it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>
1: But, yeah. I mean, my
0: overall rating of Alien 2 is a one star on IMDb. With Letterboxd, you obviously have the heart function, which makes it easier for me to rate films like this. So it's got a solid half a star for the uh, quality filmmaking and a strong love heart for how much I love this trash the piece.
1: I gave it one star and zero stars for effort. <laughs> Would you give it a love heart? No. No, of course not. No. Wow. No. no, it's garbage. It's garbage.
0: Well, I'm sure uh, I'm sure Neil Marshall would disagree with you, mm. it means he remade it. Sure, sure, Jen. So check us out on social media, uh, for Twitter, we are Horror cult Trash, uh, Instagram, we are horror.cult.trash.other. dot and you can get us on facebook.com forward slash horror cult trash other. Use any of those to let us know what you want us to talk about. Uh, I'm on Twitter at GasCruise92 and Instagram Gasmo205. Chris, what are you on? And I'm on Instagram
1: where I post pictures of much classier fare uh, at Chris Barker 823
0: I'm pretty sure the most likes you get are on your trashier phones. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's true. <laughs> We're not fooled by your front. <laughs> what about Twitter? Do you know your Twitter username? Oh, uh, well,
1: probably the same. I barely use Twitter though, so you'd only be disappointed.
0: Much like if you uh, watch Alien 2. There we go. <laughs> so, we will see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Bye.